This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are in business radio and we are powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives here in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. And today on Career Talk, we are talking about what's hot and what's not in the job market for 2019. And to help us with this topic today, we welcome to the show Dr. Tracy Weiland, a researcher and speaker on the impact of technology on society, work, and careers. She has held leadership positions at Apple, HP, and Cisco Systems. And she has authored 13 books, her newest, which is Career Confusion, 21st Century Career Management in a Disrupted World. And we're excited to have her on Career Talk to speak about career trends in 2019. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Oh, thank you, and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. So I have to start with the fact in in your book you mention that the average worker only spends 1.5 hours annually on career planning. Annually. 1.5. Is that a typo? No, 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 no. So, you know, the, the the story on that is that Google published this statistic that people were taking 93 million selfies per day on the Android phone. So they didn't even take into account how many in the iPhone. And I said, that is amazing how much time we're spending on just taking pictures of ourselves. I wonder how much time uh, we're spending on our own career planning. And it was very hard. I looked and looked and looked. And that was the only data point I could find that a student two years out of college still looking for a job was spending about an hour and a half. And then when I looked to see what adults were doing, all kinds of statistics come up. Adults are planning weddings, buying cars, eating and drinking, you know, playing games, uh, spending time with family, which is great. But there was no statistic that adults were spending time on personal career planning. And so I said, oh, this is crazy. So I wrote a blog saying, isn't it time for a career selfie? And so, uh, which is, you know, just take a focus, um, a snapshot of where you are in your career and put some focus on it because, my goodness, we all have to really start thinking about our careers. Yeah, 1.5 hours. And I'm betting that that 1.5 hours was probably in the last month. So as we're thinking about New Year's resolutions or or even performance reviews, that type of thing, I am imagining that's where people are spending the time. But but you're right. We, we put so much time into planning a vacation or planning for a wedding or a big event or even just a, a holiday party. But wow, 1.5 hours. So, so what is, I think, you know, in certain ages, you talk about the different industrial revolutions that have happened and that we're in the fourth industrial revolutions. And, and I think, you know, at certain times that might have been enough, but I feel like the world is changing so quickly now that that if we don't start investing more time into planning, we're going to be left behind. Well, exactly. If you think about it today, researchers will say that an adult today could possibly live to 115 and a baby born today could live to 150. Now, a lot of that has to do with medical advancements and genetics. But if you are one of those people who likely live at least to 100, that means in order to, to retire even, you might be working well into your 80s. And I think we all know people who are working well into their 70s and 80s today, which means, quite frankly, you could outlive the firm that you're working for. So you have to start thinking about multiple careers, not just a job move and a career. Now you have to start thinking about how am I going to make different career choices at different points of my life. 
And I think that's a very different paradigm for many people who have been kind of come from the generations where their parents said, oh, you get a job, you stay in one company for life. And that has really changed. Yeah, I want to pull something out that you just said, which like is, is kind of astounding here to hear. You will outlive your company. <laughs> you will outlive your company. And you have a bunch of great data in um, your book, Tracy. And I think one of them is that that's something like 88% of, of companies have gone bankrupt, merged, or fallen off the, the Fortune 500 list. And only 12% of the firms that were on it in 1955 are still on it today. That's amazing. That's right. I mean, if you look at the stock market today and who are the major players, these are, you know, firms like the Apples and the Googles and the Facebooks and the Twitters, whatever. It's a lot of the high tech firms, right, have, you know, really risen to larger capacity. And some of the older firms that, you know, people don't even remember anymore have fallen to the wayside. And those are the companies that our parents work for. So and then you also have like startups and different kinds of firms uh, that may not even make it past a couple of years. So there's a lot of dynamics going on in the workforce that people just need to pay attention to and be aware of. So the fact that we only spend 1.5 hours on career planning, um, well, we already know that's not enough because I think there's two aspects to it. And one is understanding where the market's going, which is what we're talking about today, Tracy. And the other part is then understanding where we fit into that. So so as we get started, let's talk about where is the market going? So what are what are kind of the big things that are happening in 2019? And then maybe we can we can dig into those. Well, sure. I mean, obviously, technology is going to play a major component in all jobs uh, here and in the future. Um, so some of the hot areas that you know you might be reading about or hearing about is obviously cybersecurity, data security, artificial intelligence, machine learning, virtual reality, autonomous cars. I mean, you name it. Every industry, blockchain, is having an impact of technology. And I think if you're working, you need to start to view how can I learn the technologies in my field at my company that makes sense for me so I can grow with it. I think that's so important. Can I? I'm just going to stop you there because I I want to. I've been thinking about this as I've been preparing for the show, and it is really difficult to think about any profession. Any profession that doesn't engage technology these days, whether you are um, – and a lot of professions didn't before. I mean, we had we had paper ledgers, but it's like now you have these really high-tech cars we're driving or, or the cars are driving themselves or these cash registers that are more like – um, you know, in-depth programming systems that are that are difficult to learn. So, I mean, I I want to stress that there's there's really um, not going to be any jobs that don't have some aspect of technology, even if it's just learning how to clock in and clock out. It's it's pretty incredible. Yes, it is. Um, you know, any job that has a, ro- a rote component to it, whether uh, your routine that could be repetitive, is going to be replaced by hardware or software. And I think people have to realistically grapple with that. It's not the entire job, well, there is a few, but all of them. So I encourage people to learn two technologies relevant to your job and your industry because you'll get interested in it and you'll learn it. So if you're in manufacturing, learn about robotics, learn about 3D printing, learn about smart machine learning, artificial intelligence, so that you can grow with your job, grow with the industry, and grow with the technology. How do you learn these things? Because, you know, I, I, in your book, you have a number of stories that are that are both true and very sad about the fact that, you know, companies have these loyal employees who are, are with them and are growing with them, and then all of a sudden, 
you know, a younger employee comes in knowing all of this technology already and the older employee is pushed out. And I think this is becoming a big problem for workers over 50 is that, you know, how do you keep up with this? It's easy to say, but how do you actually do it? Right. So uh, from the executive side, you know, the executive team of a company needs to realize they have to create an environment where individuals can grow and the expectation that they will need to continue to build skills. And a lot of companies are participating in uh, reskilling their staff. From the employee side, you have to realize that you are the CEO of your job. That means when you enter a job or accept a job, the job you have today is going to look very different a year from now because of what you do to that job. How are you going to grow that job? How are you going to advance that job? So then you need to have the onus upon yourself to ask your employer what resources are available to me, whether it's everything from tuition reimbursement to skill building classes to lateral moves to high visibility projects to technology um, opportunities so that I can grow the job that I'm in today. So it's a two-way street. The employer has to be actively involved and the employee needs to be actively involved as well. And I know I'm, I'm channeling people out there saying I'm trying to raise a family. I'm trying to take care of my aging parents. I am trying to do my day job and actually trying to, to get some sleep and, and eat in there once in a while. Where do I find the time to do this? Because it's it's so interesting how technology is supposed to give us more time back. It's supposed to make things easier so we actually have more time. But I think most people, Tracy, are feeling like they have less time. Well, you know, let me put it this way. I'm going to guess everybody listening on the phone today probably has some sort of smartphone or smart device, and they're finding incredible efficiencies by using that device, whether it's uh, keeping up with friends and family, using it to read, uh, using different kinds of apps. And um, I'm going to guess that people are also having a very easy time, you know, migrating to the next version of the Android or the iPhone because they've learned the language of technology and they found the benefits of it. And it's probably giving them more time than they thought uh, than in the past, right? And a lot of people say, how could I live without my phone? My God, I can't even sleep without it. So I think that what you have to realize is that if you find technology that is, has a good use case for yourself, you're going to embrace it, use it more, and find the benefits and efficiencies of it. So, you know, one of the things that I found fascinating in your book, Tracy, is some of the jobs of the future. And, and you know, it's it's somewhat fantastic to think about some of these things, but they're really not that far off. So the drone operations, I mean, I think that's already in place. But um, Nostologist, which is a curator of digital life, similar to modern day photo albums, like, like talk about some of these things, because I think they're kind of wild, but they're, they're coming and it's not going to be too long before these are pretty regular things. Oh, absolutely. You know, as case in point is the drone operations is over in New York City for the New Year's Eve ball drop. So we need people not only to design the drones, but to operate the drones, to repair the drones. And that's going to be in any kind of industry that adopts um, artificial intelligence. So you think about the autonomous car. It's already here. It's already in, in taxi formats. It's around the world. So now we need people to be able to design these cars, to repair these cars, to design the roads that these cars will drive on to create the laws around these cars, the insurance policies around these cars. How will the police uh, force change around these cars? I mean, it just keeps expanding all of the roles and opportunities. So I look at it as there's some unique jobs, 
right? So the nostalgist that you mentioned is someone who collects all of your paper photos to your digital photos to your video streams and creates, you know, life event stories for people, whether it's for birthday parties or for other memorials, to incredible platforms. You know, the autonomous car platform could be just a whole new area where people can actually, just like mobile devices, people can start at the ground level and grow within industry. So there's a lot of these very interesting new areas opening up. Yeah, and um, it, some of the other ones that kind of caught my eye, vertical farmers, so so urban food gardens. Again, these things are, are already being done. Robot trainer, because because our, our companion dogs and, and other features that we have are going to be replaced by, by robots who are doing these things for us. Um, natural disaster forecaster. That was interesting because we, we already have that, but on your list of things that they're going to be forecasting is space junk coming into our atmosphere, which, you know, crazy. Um, you had a great stat in there about about uh, people who are in school today are going to, 65% of the jobs that are going to be available to them don't even exist. So how do, if that's the case, how, how do people even prepare themselves for these roles, Tracy? Right. So we have to stop looking at school as class only from nine to three, right? When you go into school, it's in, it's, you have your full day and you have to create an environment for yourself that you're continuously learning. So in, in addition to the subjects that you learn, how are you spending your spare time? Is it with community work? Is it volunteering? Is it talking to other students who are older than yourself who have gotten jobs and asking them how did their school, uh, you know, impact the job that they got? Um, you know, there's so many ways, you know, did you start a business? Are there after-school camps that you can participate in, whether it's a space camp, an art camp, a tech camp? So you have to start thinking about how am I going to continuously learn new things, new skills, and then figure out what I do well that I really like to do, probably well enough to get paid for it or promoted for it. So I think it's important that a student is not just about the classroom from 9 to 3. It's about all of the experience that we can really develop ourselves for the future. And I think one of the things that, that I want to talk about as well is, is what are these skills? Because, of course, there's technology skills and understanding programming, coding, how to how to navigate within technology. But, but I think what we're seeing is that the skills that companies are looking for are what have been classified for a long time as maybe soft skills. So, so critical thinking, problem solving, collaboration, being able to negotiate. And one of the challenges, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this, Tracy, is that with so many structured programs that that um, you know schools and, and you know, our kids are in today, it's like are, are they learning these things because there's really little wiggle room to kind of have space to, to think anymore? Well, that you know that varies by the institution, but I'll, I'll tell you a story. You know, I met the CEO overseas and I was working with his firm. And he was in the hospitality industry, and he said to me, you know, Tracy, when we started this firm years and years ago, we just had to hire good general managers who came out of traditional business schools and backgrounds, and they need to know how to manage people and run the P&L. And then he said, and then the world changed, and all of a sudden we had to get in specialists, you know, HR specialists and marketing specialists and all of these specialties. And he said, and so we brought them in. And then he said the world changed again, and then we had to bring in technology experts, you know, people who can run our networks and, you know, assess our data and our security. 
He goes, and now today we're an old firm, we're big and stodgy, and there's these little startups that come in and they're eating our lunch. And they're eating our lunch because they're bringing in people who have all of this bundled up in one person, someone who has the business background, someone who has the technology background, someone who has the soft skills and the hard skills and the technology skills. So today he's realizing that actually individuals that he needs to look for to bring into his workforce have to be people who are having all these skills or he needs to do something about his current workforce. And some of the solutions that we came up with is you might have to create these cross-functional teams where you blend the expertise because some people might be very rigid in their roles and give them rotational opportunities or opportunities to work with people who have strengths where they have weaknesses. And I think that that's where students can start to think about things like internships and getting jobs where they can get exposed to, uh, you know, skills that they may not be getting or learning in school. Mm-hmm. Or, or even creating their own businesses or creating their own, you know, quote unquote internship. Because I think, I think a lot of people, young and old, spend a lot of time looking for somebody to choose them. You know, I have to find a structured internship or I have to find a job that will hire me. When in fact, you know, a big part of it is is looking in the places where other people aren't looking. So either creating something on your own and and doing it well enough that other people are interested in it or looking at, I know you talk about portfolio careers and gigs and side hustles and, and things that can kind of get your foot in the door that will, will get you ahead. So let's talk about some of those alternative options, Tracy. What are they going to look like in 2019? Sure. So just to go back to your point, I'll just tell you another quick story about a student, right? He didn't really have an internship, but I'll tell you, he loved to play golf. And what he decided to do in his community is go out and develop a business where he took donations from people of their old golf clubs, and then he donated them to children in poorer communities who wanted to learn how to play golf. And he built a whole nonprofit around it, and actually he really improved his opportunities and got in some some pretty darn good colleges and schools. So it was, oh, I don't have an internship. Wait a minute, let me think about something that's useful to the community and go ahead with it. So to your point about, you know, what are some things that uh, people can do right now, I will tell you that a lot of seasoned executives are doing something called fractional executives. And what that is is where they're letting smaller and medium-sized companies really retain them for a fraction of time uh, for their skilled expertise because a lot of these executives have been chief marketing officers for large firms, chief financial officers for large firms. And as a result of having many fractional retained jobs with different kinds of companies, they build these portfolio careers which is that you have a portfolio of companies that you work for. The benefit for the more seasoned executive is that they really are building up their skills and keeping current. The benefit for the small, medium-sized firm is they are getting really the skills of you know, a seasoned executive, which a lot of small and medium-sized firms really need today. So I think that's a big transition that you'll see. It's really just the gig, so, so to speak, moving up the chain. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, say that again, too. It's called fractional... Leadership? Tracy? Executive. Fractional executive. Got it. Um, what I like about that is that I think one of the trends we're seeing is that, that – 
the workplace is getting more flexible, whether that means working remotely or working partially remotely or these portfolio careers where you have an anchor job maybe as a fractional executive and then you do some other things or not. Um, or if you have the the portable careers that people have now, which are, you know, they do them completely digitally and move to a different country every three months because that's part of what they enjoy doing. I think that's one of the things that we all have to learn to do is to start thinking you know, at about these different options and opportunities, because I think there's a lot of things we can create right in our own backyard that would increase our satisfaction with our roles a lot, plus our life satisfaction, but not completely step away. And sometimes I think when when we get frustrated with our roles, our first thought is, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to leave. I need to find something new. But in fact, maybe the first thing you need to do is say, what can I change here, whether it's my schedule, um, how many days I'm in the office, what types of projects I'm, I want to get involved with or not be involved with. And I know that's not always possible, but I think a lot of people skip that step when they're making that, they're doing that hour and a half of career planning for their year is that, you know, what what can I change with where I, where I am? Interestingly, it looks like Florida is a hotspot location for the jobs in 2019, along with Raleigh and Boise topping out the list. And so if you're looking for a place to move, you might want to check out the job markets there. Tracy, in your book, you talk about new middle jobs. What what are these and what do people need to know about them? Well, I think what you have to start thinking about in your industries is that every job is going to go through different iterations, right? So we're going to have a marketing job that's going to iterate to be a digital marketing job. You're going to have a manufacturing job that will move into a digital supply chain job. So it's more of looking at what's the impact of the technology on your job and where is it going and how can you morph with it, so to speak, or iterate with it. And a a variety of middle jobs or different kinds of jobs will result as having different categories of jobs. So as we mentioned before, you know, if you're looking at autonomous cars, people automatically say, oh, I'm just, just for engineers. Well, no, we need people to design the roads, pave the road, repair the road. So there's a lot of different kinds of jobs that will spin off of uh, new platforms of different kinds of positions and careers. And you, you talk about, um, and I know this is coming out, artificial intelligence and, you know, there's more applicant tracking systems and how people are getting hired. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious about your opinion. Do you think that some of these aspects will, will make us less biased or more high, biased in the hiring process? Well, it depends. I mean, again, it's going to be based on can you do the job? Do you have the skills and the abilities for the job that I'm trying to fill? And so a lot of people are using some technologies to really eliminate uh, ways of having a bias of picking one person over a different person and one resume over a different person. I think what you have to remember at the end of the day, it's all about the skills. And a lot of times firms keep going back to the same schools they keep going, looking in the, in the only zip code near their firm because they're so face-to-face. And so you need to expand the pie. You know, how am I going to find talent, not just in my zip code? Well, that means I might have to create flex time or teleworking or remote positions. Or how am I going to embrace people um, and not stop going to the same schools? Where am I going to find them and start looking at alternative schools or different types of organizations where you can reap the benefits of having a diverse workforce? Yeah, and I think this is where uh, networking is going to continue to be important because, you know, here's at the end of the day, people are going to hire based on trust and referrals. And I think 
the AI will help you get into that pool, perhaps. But at the end of the day, if you're networking in, you get to bypass that pool. You get to, or, or even if you did get in through that pool, if you're going to have somebody who's going to refer you, that's going to make you a stronger applicant. Because sure, skills are important, but because they're changing so Frequently, what I think employers are recognizing is that agility and the ability to collaborate and the ability to learn quickly and and some of these other again what what may be considered softer skills are are equally if not more important because they can train you on the changes that come. Well, to your point, you know, obviously I work with a lot of recruiters, and I'll tell you at the end of the day, seventy five percent of their jobs are still, um, you know filled through networking, employee referrals, but still at the end of the day, you have to have the experience and qualifications for the position that you're applying to. And most of the recruiters will tell me that a lot of people are applying and shotgunning a lot of different positions that they just shouldn't be applying for. Um, So I think it is important that you make sure you align what you can do today with the positions that you're looking at. And then to your point that employers can certainly groom you and you can, you know, develop your skills while in the firm. So let's talk about the career selfie, because I'm still stuck on this fact that we're, we're only spending an hour and a half annually planning our career. So, so, you talk about doing a career selfie in your book. How can people who are thinking about you know this topic now start to think about how they can prepare for their career, not just in the next year but beyond? Well, one is you know a career selfie is take a snapshot of where you are in your career today and put some focus on it. So if you are in a job today and you want to be a year from today, January is a good year to do this. Where do you want to be January next year? Uh, Maybe you're a manager and you want to be a senior manager. Okay, well, then let's do a timeline and figure out how are you going to get there? What are the steps that you need to take so that by next January you're in the role? And then you start to put focus on it. Well, I need to know what the job description is for that role. I have to understand the skills that I need. I need to talk to my manager and find out are there opportunities in the firm that will become available that I can position for. Can I uh, express to my manager, this is my goal, so help me get there and please explain to me what to do. So that's sort of, you know, part one is thinking about where you want to be a year from now and then building out the timeline with easy-to-achieve goals so that you can get there. But a different person might say, you know what, I'm ignored in my firm. You know, I'm a project manager. There's a lot of project managers. I don't really have a personal brand. Well, then your career selfie is how from a year from today, let's just say, am I going to ensure that everybody in the company knows that I have unique, scarce skills as a project manager, and how am I going to highlight that? Well, it might be by letting people know at meetings, raising your hand more and saying, you know, I'm a project manager who specializes in digital marketing. You know, so if you think of me as a digital marketing ninja, right, you know, here are some of the ways. Start to build that brand, write about it, blog about it, let people know, you know, and walk the talk. So depending on where you are in your career, think about what your next step is and put some focus on it. So, Tracy, one of the trends that I think is disturbing, and we kind of touched on it earlier, is as we move forward, uh, approaching the job search if you're older. So so 56% of people over 50 will be forced out of their jobs, and only 1 in 10 will earn the equivalent of what they made after that. And that is a pretty scary stat. 
Well, I think as you uh, become more experienced or seasoned or older in, in your world, you have to start thinking about your next steps before that, that happens to you. And many of my colleagues who are working in their 60s, 70s, 80s plus, all have the same advice, which is look for age-appropriate organizations that match your age at any point in your career. So, for example, colleagues of mine in their 70s working today are working in universities, healthcare systems, for consulting firms, they're on boards, they're in private equity, in, you know, in the arts, uh, nonprofit. Uh, many of them have transitioned their, their corporate skills into different sectors where you see more people in your age bracket. Um, I wouldn't say that everyone takes a cut. Um, I would say that you have to start planning for what is, what is your career going to look like in your 60s, 70s, and 80s, and what can you do about it today so that you can keep yourself as a revenue stream and really fulfilled at those ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think building your network is critical. Um, I also think, again, going back to something we talked about before, is looking at alternative career paths. I love the idea of a fractional executive, and I think that may be a concept that can be taken in a lot of different ways because institutional knowledge is so important to a lot of companies, and they may not be thinking of it because they've not done it before. But if you as an employee suggest it, it might be something that that they're open to. So, um, you know, as you know, as an older worker is trying to find different roles in these different areas. I mean, what if they? What if they? want to do a role at, at, you know, Apple or Google or some of these? I mean, why, why are these companies not hiring older workers? Well, for the most, you know, a lot of these companies are embracing students as they come out of school so they can bring them into the firm and develop them from, you know, it's easier to develop someone who has no experience than someone who has a lot. Number two, it's all about a cost factor. You know, younger employees are less expensive to maintain than an older employee, um, and number three is the younger generation does come in with unique uh, technology skills that perhaps some of the uh, more seasoned personnel don't have. So there's a multitude of reasons of why companies, you know, choose the kinds of employee base that they do. Um, if you are a person who, for example, is uh, very seasoned, then I would try to position my scarce skill. So if you are a, um, you know, in- information technology, a chief information officer, um, do you have the scarce skill that will make you very attractive to the Googles or the Facebooks or wherever you would like to see yourself? So that means you're, you have a breadth and depth in a variety of software technologies, digital technologies. You know, um, you probably have a strong coding background. I mean, you have to really think about what is going to put these people on fire if they read your resume and say, yeah, I really want that person. Also, I think as you are become more seasoned, you have to remember you do have to work with recruiters. You know, recruiters at the corporate level are looking to fill slots for the corporation, and then there's outside recruiters who help companies look for those very specialized roles where there are scarce skills that their internal recruiters can't find. So as, a, as an executive, I would be trying to link up with at least three recruiters who specialize in the area that I'm looking for so that you have extra eyes and ears on the street. We are going to go to the phones with Hyder in Virginia. Welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? Hey, how are you guys doing? Great. Yeah, so my question was pertaining to globalization, how Tracy thought maybe affects the domestic marketplace in terms of talent. 
Do you think there are certain roles that are being more so outsourced, maybe rote or repetitive tasks that no longer need to be done within here and we should focus more so on cer certain things like management or, you know, other abilities or skills that we need to develop instead of certain ones that are no longer needed domestically? I just wanted to hear your opinion on, I mean, is there an effect of globalization on the marketplace or is there not or what your opinion was on that? So globalization has impacted firms, you know, and you say, okay, we, uh, we outsource all of the talent and all of the things that we used to do here has gone overseas. But the next wave of that is all of that is going to be off-shifted really to software and hardware, so no matter where that is. Um, so in terms of yourself, what I would recommend is look at your skills and what you have. Um, are there pieces of your job that could be replaced by hardware or software? I would say it's really boiling down to, you know, can it be a routine now that can, we can offload to software or hardware? And how can you keep ahead of the, that game? You know, what unique expertise, what unique skill set do you have that can't be replicated by hardware or software? And then in terms of globalization, I think the one thing that, that everyone should be thinking about is how can I get some globalized experience? Um, it is a global world, and we do need to think about can we build up that part of our lives? I mean, I remember I did a lot of work overseas because I saw how critical it was for the firms that I work for. They are global firms, and they want to see people who are comfortable working on global teams, traveling overseas, interacting with whether it's engineers or executives on the, uh, you know, in different settings. So I don't think it's about off offshoring everything overseas. I think you've got to worry about what, what routine things can be replaced by software or hardware and how can you keep ahead of that game. Yeah, and Tracy, um, to, to Hyder's point, are there jobs, when you think about the next year, that are, are kind of first in line that will be going away because hardware and software are going to be taking them over? Well, you think about it, you know, even today, right? You know, I was doing a stock transaction, and in the old days, right, you used to have to go to the stockbroker to do a stock transaction. Now everything is I'm thrilled about is you can do on your mobile phone or online because software has to totally taken over that. Now, has the stockbroker gone away? No. The stockbroker has moved into an advisory role and does different kinds of portfolio planning. So I would say every job is going to go through this iteration. Um, you know, is it going to be fully replaced? Well, you might have read the news that Wharton is now bringing in robots to clean the floor. So does that mean the janitors go away? Maybe in that setting, but does the janitorial field go away? No, not at all. It, it will morph and find higher areas where you can participate. So another one is the, the bank teller. You know, the ATM replaced the bank teller. Well, they're still bank tellers. They just do different things today. They have more seasoned and, you know, they're really upskilled, quite frankly, than just taking a transaction. And I'll tell you, a lot of the things that get replaced by hardware and software are things that people hate to do anyway. Um, you know, when you think about it, who wants to stand at a ticket counter in an airport and just take people's tickets? You know, but you still have the counter person in the airlines who is doing other things.
Yeah. So to Hyder's point, then a lot of them, as you talk about being upskilled, will be management of these things. So somebody has to manage the robots on the floor that are, are cleaning and somebody has to repair them and somebody has to schedule them and somebody. So so it's kind of this tidal wave. And I think the other part that Hyder brings up that I think is, is um, another trend that that has been ongoing is this idea of uh, globalization and diversity and working uh, across whether it's it's cultures or ages or you know generations or all of the the different diversity that workers bring into the office. So so how can somebody prepare for that, Tracy? Right. Well, I'll tell you a simple story. I was in New York, and there's a hotel there called Yotel. And the, uh, I talked to the general manager, and they basically replaced the bellboy with a robot. And I said, so what happened? And he said, well, you know, everybody took a different approach to this concept of bringing in robots to replace the bellboy. He said, one just said, I only know how to be a bellboy. I got to go get a job somewhere else. He said, the second one said to me, okay, obviously the bellboy skills are being replaced by hardware. Can you put me on some sort of rotation inside the hotel so I could build up my skills? And he said, and I did that because the employees showed the onus to really want to learn new things. He said, the third bellboy actually made the most money because he went to the company that made the the robots and said, I'm going to be the director of operations and sales for robots for other hotels because I understand the technology of the robotics as, as in addition to subject matter expertise of how to be a bellboy. So I think the point is, is this choice is up to you. He gave three explicit examples of how people approach change in technology. You can either embrace it, you can walk away from it, or you can really think about how I can maximize it. And I would say try to think about how you can maximize technology, whether it's your teammate, you know, technology is now your teammate, or how can I really build revenue opportunities for myself. Yeah, well said. Love that story. Great example. Hey, Hyder, thank you for giving us a call here on Career Talk. Um, And I love that story because I think it goes back to what we really started this show with, Tracy, which is this idea of planning. And and part of that is recognizing what's going on around you and how it's going to impact your career and then looking at your strengths and interests and, and, and aligning that with the market and saying, where am I going to find both the most joy and the, you know, if job security is your thing or interest or whatever it is you want to do, travel and looking at that. So I think as we're, we're kind of closing down the show, I think this idea of planning is is what I want to take away. And I'm hoping that everybody can take a look at the accomplishments they've had over the past years, what's going on in their market, and then where they think they want to be or think they um, are going to be so that they can they can um, stay ahead of this. So Tracy, as we're, we're winding down on this topic of planning, what is what is some of your, your final advice for our listeners? So my final advice for listeners is think about what you like to do that you do well, well enough to get paid or promoted for it. I think that's going to be the foundation of how you make choices about your careers and develop, you know, into different kinds of jobs and roles. Number two is keep up on the the marketplace. You know, make sure you read. A lot of executives say they spend about three hours a day now keeping up on the news. And it's not just the news that you read or reading in a book. It's watching YouTube and podcasts and listening to radio shows so that you're always on top of the trends. And then number three is try to learn two technologies that make sense to you that help you in your in your job and your career so that you can continue to advance yourself. 
And I think a lot of this is much more available today because we are in an online world. So it isn't like you have to go back to school. You can get so much of this information online. So those would be my three things in addition to what you mentioned, which is planning. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And uh, Dr. Tracy Weiland, where can people find out more about you? Thank you. My uh, website is tracywyland.com, which is T-R-A-C-E-Y-W-I-L-E-N.com. I'm at Tracy Weiland on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. I'm pretty available and accessible, and I'd love to hear from people. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.